Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how there's only one gospel of grace and how any other versions of religion are fake. We have some exciting news. Our website is being updated. Come check it out. Especially if you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests. Come and contact us at missio.life. You can have a seat. So my wife and I, we like to go on, go out and garage sale. Anybody, any garage sailors in here? Yeah, it's kind of fun, right? Go around other people's houses and find stuff you don't need. And then you bring it home and you sell it at your own garage sale about a year later, right? So we like to garage sale. And we went to a garage sale this one time. This is a few years back. And my wife comes over and she says, look what I found. It's a coach purse. And we got really excited about this coach purse. Well, I, I should say she got excited. I'm not really into women's handbags, but, but she gets excited. She goes, this is like a two or $300 item for 10 bucks. What a steal. So we bought the purse and we went home thinking we're going to cash it in, turn around and sell it and start looking online and we find out that it's a fake. It's a re- like somebody made a, a ripoff version of this coach purse. Anybody ever had an experience like that where you thought you had something genuine Turned out somebody made a, a cheap imitation version of it. So, anyone know what this is? You see that? This is an antique right here. So, if you know video games, this is, a, you know, the Wii is about 100 years old in video game years. Um, but we had these, these Wii controllers, and my kids were, as you can see, we don't have the lanyards. We don't do lanyards. So, then the thing goes across the room, smashes the wall, it breaks, and so we ended up buying quite a few of these over the years, and they're expensive. And especially when the Wii was kind of in its heyday, uh, I didn't want to buy the expensive version. And so we started looking around online, and we found a magical place called Wish.com. And so we bought some of these remotes, and they looked like the real thing. They're white. They say Nintendo Wii, but they kind of rattle a little bit, and they're kind of lightweight. And when it makes the little dingy noise, the speaker's distorted. And so we found out that the Wish.com version wasn't the real, genuine thing, right? And so these would last for about a week, and then we'd chuck them and get another one. So people in our world love to counterfeit things. They love to make fake versions. We know this is true with money, right? People print money, and it's just paper, but it, it's, it doesn't have the value of the real thing. And so we live in a world full of fakes, a world full of... Um, Lesser versions of the real thing. We, we call them knockoffs. That's what my kids like to say. That's a knockoff, Dad. And so we've been in this series in the book of Galatians, and we, we can find that spiritual truths can be knockoffs as well. And there was a group of false teachers that were coming after the Apostle Paul, and they were saying, uh, man, your gospel isn't true. You need to change it. And so they were coming up with this knockoff gospel that wasn't real. It wasn't the, the genuine gospel. And Paul was pushing back pretty hard on it, saying, you guys, you can't change this. You can't make up your own version of it. And he was talking about grace and, and legalism. And so what legalism is, basically, just to recap a little bit, is that we're made right with God by keeping rules, keeping the law. And so these false teachers wanted the, the Galatian churches, the people there, to keep the law. They're like, yeah, the gospel's too simple. We need to add some rules to it. And so they wanted them to be circumcised, to follow the circumcision rules and the, the laws of Moses. 
And that's what these false teachers were coming after Paul with. And we know that uh, the gospel is grace. We talked about that a lot last week, that grace is what? It's God's unmerited favor to us. We do nothing to earn it. Grace is a gift. It's a good thing. And so we're going to move through um, quite a bit of text this morning. We're going to be in Galatians 2, if you want to get there in your Bible, um, if you have one. Otherwise, Bible app, and we'll have it on the screen here in a moment. And I'm going to move through the whole chapter. This is more scripture than I typically like to, to cover in one setting, but I feel like as I read through this, it really just is one continuous thought. And so I'm going to take a chunk, we're going to talk about it, another chunk, and we'll do it in three pieces, okay? So bear with me, I'm going to read a, a pretty long text here this morning from Galatians 2, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, which is the very thing that I was eager to do. So Paul's telling a story here. He's saying, I went up to Jerusalem to hang out with some church people. You know, Jerusalem was the place where the church started, if you remember that in the book of Acts. And, and Peter was there and some of the other apostles. And so Paul was journeying there, and some think it was for um, a relief effort. I mean, there's speculation about why he was going up to Jerusalem. But while he was there, he's like, hey, I'm going to hang out with the, the apostles. I've been teaching the gospel for a while, and Paul says, I'm going to go and, and just maybe try to get some credibility back because all these false teachers were constantly dogging Paul. Because people were saying, well, Paul's got one gospel. He's teaching this one version of the truth. And then Peter and all the people up in Jerusalem are teaching a different gospel. Paul says, no, it's all the same. We're teaching the same gospel. And so he, he shows up with Peter and the rest of the apostles. He says, let's, let's compare notes. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page teaching the same thing. And so that's what he does. He goes up there, and, and, uh, and it becomes clear pretty quickly that they're teaching the same gospel. And so he's trying to get some credibility from these false teachers. And that was the purpose of the meeting. And interesting, like what you see in the text, that some, it says this, um, people slipped in to spy out their freedom. So false teachers brought in some ringers into this meeting to pin Paul to the wall. I mean, no wonder he was so frustrated with these false teachers. They were just dogging him constantly. And he said, who slipped in to spy out our freedom in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us again into slavery. These false teachers wanted to pull people, pull Christians away from the gospel of grace 
back into law. No, you got to do all these rules. You got to keep all these things in order to be made right with God. That's what the false teachers were saying. So Paul's super annoyed with them. And we, we read about a lot about circumcision. And, and I want to just point out why this is important. So circumcision, if you go back to the Old Testament, we have the people of Israel. The people of Israel, God's chosen people. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to give you descendants so many, they're, they're more than the sand of the sea, seashore, more than the stars of the sky. Like, they're going to have a lot of descendants. And by the way, Abraham, I'm going to give you this, this covenant with me, and circumcision is a sign of that covenant. And so it was very much a part of Jewish culture, and, and all the males were to be circumcised, and typically it was eight days after they were born. They'd go through this circumcision ritual. So it was legit. God gave it to the people of Israel. But then Jesus comes along fulfilling the law. It's no longer necessary. But yet these false teachers are saying, no, you got to keep doing that. You got you to follow all the rules in order to be right with God. They didn't understand grace. And so in our story, we see that Paul brings some friends with him. He brings Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas is a Jew, so, you know, cool. Barnabas is accepted. But bringing Titus with was a bit of a risk for Paul. Would, would these Jews accept him? Because there was, back in that day, it was very much a kind of an us versus them mentality. You had the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Jews, God's chosen people. Gentiles, everybody else. By the way, we're, if you're not a Jew in here, then we're all Gentiles, right? So that's kind of how that breaks down. And so circumcision was one of the ways that they differentiated between the Jews and the Gentiles, or some translations say the Greeks. And so Titus comes to this meeting, and he feels pressure to be circumcised. And he's like, whoa, no, hard pass. Like, I'm not doing that. Don't need to do that. Because Titus understood grace, and Paul understood grace. There's no need for him to be circumcised. So there's all this pressure that they were receiving. And so basically the apostles affirm that Paul's teaching the same grace, the same gospel, and they give him the right hand of fellowship. I'm not really sure. I mean, high five, handshake, something like that. Basically, hey, hey, uh, Paul, good job. Keep doing what you're doing to the Gentiles, preaching the gospel to them. We feel called to the Jews here in Jerusalem. So they had their separate ministries, but they were all on the same team trying to accomplish the same thing for the same purpose, right? But Paul still had his critics, these false teachers who were advocating the law. And here's the thing. There's always going to be religious people who want to add rules on top of grace. It was true back then. It's true today. People that want to make, make it into uh, religion. They want to make it legalistic. We all get pressured to be religious. People say, well, your gospel's too easy. It's too soft. We just need to add some rules to it. Make it a little, like we feel like we're doing something, right? And it's the killer of grace. Sometimes we get pressure from family members to be legalistic. Say, well, your Christianity's too soft. You need to do all this stuff. Sometimes we learn that from our parents, grandparents, friends. Sometimes churches do this. I was a part of a church that, and maybe you have been, been a part of one too, but uh, when I was in Bismarck, Right, right into college, I was at a period of my life where I was angry with God. I was super rebellious. I had a, about a 10-year window where I was just angry with God because I had lost my dad as a child. And so I was doing my own thing and just kind of living the party life and just had no real meaningful relationships. I got tired of it. And God started to work on my heart, and so I, I began to read the Bible. I remember just opening up Scripture and reading in my bedroom. And then I started going to this church with my 
my roommate, my, my friend who I was living with at the time, and we both start going to, going to this church, and God's doing something in our hearts, and we're like, man, just kind of an awakening. But you know when your heart is sincere and you want to follow Jesus and you want to do the right things, you're kind of susceptible to falling into a bunch of rule following too. It's like I genuinely wanted to get right with God and there was a church that I found that gave me a lot of stuff to do. And so I showed up with my Bible and it wasn't just a few weeks in, they're like, oh, by the way, you need to get rid of that NIV translation. Like that's, that's really not a good translation. In fact, it's, it's a little bit evil. Like they're, you know... And, and so I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to do? Well, you need to get a King James Bible. Okay, all right, I can do that. Went down to the Bible bookstore, bought a King James, came back the next week. Yeah, that's not the right King James Bible. You need the old one, the 1611 version. I'm like, oh, okay, dang it. So I went and got that Bible and came back. And then it was summertime, and we were talking about going to this, you know, water park thing. And they're like, yeah, you really shouldn't be around people wearing bathing suits because you might sin, you might lust. And I'm like, no bathing suits? Like, what are you guys talking about here? Are you like skinny dipping? Like, I'm, they're, not, they're not that progressive of a church. <laughs> so I knew they weren't me- talking about that. But it's like, you couldn't be around people in bathing suits. So nobody went swimming. Okay, I can do that. And then, you know, we're talking about dress code. Uh, you go to a service and all the women wore super long dresses and the guys wore suits. And we only sang hymns out of the certain hymnal and you know, if someone did special music, we couldn't clap for them because then it might go to their head and it's pride and it's just rule after rule after rule and, and you feel like in the moment like, oh yeah, we're really honoring God by doing all this but then about six months later, I moved out of town and I was no longer there and it was just like a weight was lifted. I was like, holy cow, I think I was caught up in something and I realized how freeing it was to just read the Bible and listen to the Spirit and, and just live my life in grace. And man, maybe some of you have been in that situation in, in some form of legalism in a church or in a setting. Uh, maybe some of us are still there a little bit. And I'm not here to beat up on any church or to say, hey, you know, these people are bad. It's just, I'm here to beat up on legalism because it's not the gospel of grace. Keeping rules is not what pleases God. Jesus' righteousness is what pleases God, applied to me and to you. But we all get this pressure to be religious. And so, I'm okay beating up on legalism, but I'm not here to beat up on any churches. I know there's people all over who love Jesus and are doing the best that they know how. And so we, we can fall into this trap, though, of fearing others, right? And so we're going to go back to our text and read the next chunk. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to see what happens in our story here. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force all the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
Okay, so this is getting good, right? We got a little drama. We got a little reality TV going on here now. So Peter comes up to Antioch and and he's over there and he's kind of eating with some people and they're sitting around the table. These are Gentiles and he's a Jew and that's everything's cool and he's okay with it until his buds come in. His friends walk in and they're Jews and he's like, uh, sorry guys, I got to go sit at this table. Sounds a little bit like a, like a high school uh, lunchroom, doesn't it? Like, sorry, I can't sit with you. I got to be with the in crowd. And so he goes and hangs out with the Jews and Paul's like, whoa, whoa, bro, time out. What you just did there was total hypocrisy. And you got to understand that in Jewish culture, sitting around the table was a big deal, right? It was, it was acceptance. And if you sat across the table from someone, you were saying, I, I, I love you, I support you, I, I accept you. So by Peter getting up and leaving that table, he was telling the Gentiles, sorry, you're beneath me, I got to go hang out with these important people. And going back to this, you know, rating people in different ways. And so um, he was afraid of how his friends would, would react. And Paul says, that's hypocrisy. You're being a hypocrite. So what is hypocrisy? The textbook definition of, of a hypocrite is this. Someone who says they have particular moral beliefs, but they behave in a way that shows those beliefs are not sincere. Church, we are known as hypocrites in the community. People will say this all the time. Christians are hypocrites. Some of it's fair, some of it's not. There are hypocrites everywhere, outside the church too. People say, well, I believe in, you know, whatever, and, and they don't hold true to that. But, but very much in the church, we're known, we have a reputation of being hypocrites, of saying we believe one thing and then acting and behaving a different way. Peter did it. It's not new. We all do it. So Peter's saying, I'm okay to eat with these guys, these, these Gentiles, until... Other people show up, and then I'm going to change my behavior. Anybody ever change their behavior based on who's around? Yeah, all of us, right? And so Peter fell into this trap of fearing what others thought of him rather than living out of the reality of what the gospel says is true of him, what God thinks of him. So he was more concerned about what people thought than what God says is true of him. And fear of what others think is, is really us. So basically, this is, the, this is the, where hypocrisy comes from. We fear what others think of us rather than resting in what God thinks of us. That's where hypocrisy comes from. Say, I'm going to worry more about what these people think of me rather than believing what is true of me based on what God says. But when we live in grace, we get to live free from keeping up appearances. Now, we live in a world that tells us to keep up appearances. I mean, we got social media, right? And on every social media platform, what we do is we, we manicure our, our presence on social media. It's our highlight reel. Man, I, my life is so good. My family's great. My kids are awesome. My job's the best. My vacations are next level, right? And this is what we do. We, we project this appearance that we have it all together, and my life is the best. That's just phony. But people do this all the time, and we, it perpetuates in our culture. We even take pictures of our food, like our plate. Can I just say, 90% of those, we don't need to see those. Can we just agree to like do less of that? Once in a while, maybe a cool meal, but come on. I mean, there's a lot of food posts that just, we don't need that in our scrolling. 
So we live in a world that puts pressure on us to keep up appearances, to fear other people, to care more, way too much about what other people are thinking of us. And I wonder, you know, what if there was a, what if there was a people that would just be okay with taking off the mask? What if there was a people that was okay with being open and honest that my life's not all together right now? I got some stuff that I'm dealing with. I got some hard things that I'm going through right now. What if there was a community of people that could just accept each other and love each other unconditionally and be supportive and maybe even have some fights once in a while? Eh, we disagree on some things. We're going to work it out. The good news is there is a group of people like that. And it's called the church. Unfortunately, many of us have not experienced that in the church because people put on their masks and they want to put this appearance up. I got it all together. And I know for some of us, it's hard to take off the mask because we've been hurt by the church. I know some of your stories. I know in this room we have people who have been damaged by the church or damaged by other Christians, and it's hard to, to trust again. It's hard to take those walls down. We, we wall up, we mask up so that we protect ourselves. This is not worth the risk, but it is worth the risk. If we can learn to build trust and foster an environment where we can care for one another and show grace no matter what, this is the most, most life-giving experience that we could have. That's God's design for the church, to have a culture of grace. There's a guy named John Lynch, and he wrote a book, The Cure, and I've quoted this a little bit. I think I've got this, yeah. He says, what if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known, and I would discover that I would not be loved less, but more in the telling of it? There is a place, it's the church. The worst of us can be known and people love us even more when we open up and share. Not less. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to fear other people. We don't have to perform. That's good news. All right, so the last chunk I want to hit, righteousness through grace. I know we've been in the ESV. I'm switching translations midstream. Some of you are going, what? You can't do that. So I'm going to NLT because I felt like this last section really reads better, smoother through the NLT. So I'm going to put it, you can, if you don't have that, you can follow it on the screen. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So Paul really gets to the heart of the issue. That last verse says it all. If I could be made right with God, if I could be righteous before God by keeping the law, there's no need for Jesus, right? If keeping the law could make us righteous, then we really wouldn't need Jesus. And Paul knew what it meant to keep the law. He was a Pharisee. The Bible says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which meant his dad was a Pharisee. Like Paul grew up going to all the Pharisee meetings. I don't know what they did, and clubs and parties, Christmas parties or whatever. Like whatever Pharisees did, he did it. 
So he was there and he knew all the stuff and he knew all the rules. But then Paul had an encounter with Jesus and it radically changed him. He said, man, I know about the law. I was an expert in the law. And by the way, Jesus fulfilled the law, so I'm not keeping it anymore. I'm not striving to keep the law. I'm not trying so hard. I'm going to rest in grace. Man, you talk about a radical transformation. Paul was, oh, he was, he was the law keeper and he was the rule keeper. Now he understands grace and he's teaching everybody he knows how to experience grace. So freeing to understand grace. And that's why legalism is so dangerous to us. Because we're basically saying, no, no, I'm going to manage my own righteousness. Jesus, what you did on the cross, that was cute, that was nice, but I'm going to add some rules on top of this and I'm really going to make sure that I'm right with God because of what I've done. God says, you don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. He fulfilled your need for righteousness. And now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect sacrifice applied to us. We're perfectly loved and accepted. We use the phrase around missio circles, do to be. Maybe you've heard that a little bit, do to be. And the idea behind this is what I do, my works, right, the rule keeping, what I do makes me who I am, so my identity is found in what I am, my self-worth. I do things, therefore I have value. Do to be says our behavior makes us right with God. So if we do the right things and we check off all the boxes, that God will accept me, he will love me. That's, that's due to be. But grace says, no, we're made right with God because of what Jesus has done, and then our behavior flows out of that. The way that we live flows out of that reality. It's very different. I want to share one more quote from Lynch. God has given us the DNA of righteousness. We are saints Nothing we do will make us more righteous than we already are. Nothing we do will alter this reality. God knows our DNA. He knows that we are Christ in me. And he's now asking us to join him in what he already knows to be true. That's a profound statement. You're never going to get more righteous than you are in Christ right now at this moment. God knows it. He says, hey, just join me in the reality. I've already accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. Now, I know some of you are pushing back right now. You go, ah, this sounds too good to be true. We need some rules. And the Bible is filled with commands. Does Jesus want us to obey? Absolutely. So you can read Scripture. And I'm just going to say, if you have a legalistic mindset, you will project that all over Scripture as you read the Bible. If you understand grace, you'll see it everywhere in Scripture. So we can project certain ideas onto the Bible as we read them. But when it comes to obeying Jesus and his teachings, we don't obey to be made right with God, right? It, it's because of grace that we're made right with him, that we're justification, just as if I'd never sinned, right? Justification, we receive that from Jesus, but then we obey because of who we are in him. And, and God knows that if we obey his teachings, his commands, it is the best possible life we could live. That's why God gives us commands. That's why he gives us teachings to obey. He says, I know how you're going to function the best, and it's in my pathway, and so just obey, follow. Let me give you an example of this. So Jesus says, you know, forgive your, 
your enemies, right? Love people, like forgiveness. Let's just talk about forgiveness. We know we're supposed to forgive people. If we forgive people, does that make us righteous with God? Does that make us right with God? No. <laughs> it doesn't. It's for our own benefit. It's sin if we, if we live in unforgiveness. But what does that do to us if we don't forgive somebody? It tears us up on the inside. It destroys us. And God knows that. He says, forgive people. It's for your own benefit. It doesn't make you righteous with God, but it's the best way that we can live. And he knows that. And so he gives us teachings like this so that we can live in the best possible way. It's for our own benefit. So many of us take the commands of Scripture and we make them just a box of rules. Check them off. Do all these things, God will be pleased with me. He'll love me. Paul says, going back to legalism is bondage. It's slavery. And I think, too, like, if, if we live with an illegalistic mindset, we don't have joy. Man, we don't have joy. And maybe you guys can relate to this yourself, or maybe you know someone who has a relationship with Jesus. They know Jesus. They have no joy in their life. And for many people, they, they lack joy because they don't understand grace. And they're trying to keep the law. And they say, well, God can't be happy with me ever because I'm not happy with me. God's got to be disappointed with me because I'm disappointed with myself. I can't keep all the rules, so God's got to be disappointed. And there's no joy because they don't understand grace. So I want to pause right here and just have a few discussion questions. And you guys kind of know what to do. I think most of you, if you're new here, we, sometimes we just do this. It's a little weird. And we, we just talk a little bit and see process through what we're learning and so if you have something on your heart and you want to share it, speak loudly and uh, someone else will benefit in the room from what you have to say. So the first question is this. Do you believe God is happy with you right at this moment? Do you believe God is happy with you? And what is your answer based upon? Don't get shy on me now. I know this is vulnerable. But... I think God's happy with me because I'm willing to accept persecution not worry about what others think about my passion and fire to live for him. You think he's happy with you because you're willing to suffer persecution? Yeah. But again, it's not earning it because we're suffering. It's earning, it's resting in grace, right? Freedom, yeah. Anybody else not, anyone feel like God's not happy with you today? Yeah. That's cool. That's progress, right? It's good. We had this discussion before church. What makes you relevant? As long as I know I'm a child of God, trusting in Jesus, and I'm on his mission, I believe God's going to help me. Mm-hmm. And he, his willingness to help me is, a, is an extension of his grace. He's going to help me do what he wants me to do. And it's because of who I am in him, not because of what I'm doing. Because of who he is. So he's saying, he's talking about how the extension of grace continues day to day to day, that as we walk with Jesus, he continues to show us grace, not because of what we've done, but because he loves us. It's not based on our performance, right? That's, that's good news for us. I did something this week, I've done for personal peace. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me, when was the last time you told a, a, a soon-to-be believer that you actually love them? Like, you're going to tell somebody doesn't know Jesus that I love you? It's just contrary to culture. We did it and they responded. Wow, that's awesome. That's grace. That's not 
Yep. So are they behaving themselves? No, we don't do measure that way. I'm but in grace, you can tell that person you love them. Yeah. Because it's not based on, hey, if you measure up, then I'll love you. That's conditional love. We love unconditionally, just like God loves us that way, right? So second question is this. How might the dynamics of your relationships change with more grace? Think about your marriages, parents and kids, um, workplace environment. How, how would the relationships change with more grace? So this morning before I left, I had two different conversations with both teenagers in my home. The third was just listening. Both were based on, this is what you should have done, right? Should, legalism, right? I was shitting on my kids. And the other one was, um, you're gonna wear that to church. Right, I said that to my daughter. And so, then, okay, so then, of course, the Holy Spirit just convicted me right away and he said, that is not grace. That is not grace. So God is killing the legalism in me because I do, I do want to follow his law. I do want to obey him because I love him. Mm. But I get way far to the legalistic side. And so I wasn't teaching my children grace. I was teaching them you got to do the da 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 and I'll be happy with you. Well, then I had to, like, stop and say, okay, wait a minute. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that is not grace. That is totally legalism, and I love you both, okay? And I just want to guide you and give you, like, the right thing to do, but you get a choice to do it, and I love you no matter what you choose. Mm -hmm. That's grace. So is God happy with me? Well, he wasn't. Right? Because I was being legalistic. I was teaching my kids, you got a blank to know that I love you. Like, I'll be pleased with you. I'll be happy with you. But the truth is, I love my children all the time, whether they obey me or do what they should or follow Jesus. Like, I love them. So I am learning to have grace for my children, the same grace that my father gave to me as his daughter. Like, how much grace does he give me? Grace upon grace upon grace every day, mm. all day long. Yeah. And I receive that grace, but I don't always give that grace. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was huge for me to, like, it's changing my home. It's changing the temperature of my home. Everything, oh my goodness, I could, like, yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. <laughs> I don't know if you guys... I don't know if you guys could hear all that, but she basically was saying that she's learning to extend grace to her kids in her home and how it's changing the temperature. It's changing the tone of her relationship with her kids. And it does. That's why it's good news. That's why Paul fought so hard for it. Said, don't go back to law. It, it, it's a killer. It's bondage. It's slavery. Grace is freedom. The last question is this. Who in your life needs to receive grace from you right now? And is it hard to extend it? Maybe there's some people that God's bringing to your mind and your heart right now. And you're like, yeah, I need to show some grace to that person. It's not our natural tendency to show grace, right? Anybody want to share? Because there's a 
offer that relationship who misses me, but he doesn't have the same heart that we do when we can forgive and let go. He, like, he hangs on to this stuff. And some of the questions he asked is, it's making me think like, and I talked to my husband about it, said, all right, it goes back to what would Jesus do, right? And I feel like if I asked that to myself, Jesus would meet me where I'm at. And I feel like that's what I need to do him because I need to meet him where he's at. That's so good, Kita. So she said she's got a relationship with a family member and forgiveness has been extended, but the, the relationship isn't really as close as it could be. And so her asking herself, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, Jesus would meet that person where they're at. That's what he does. He shows grace. And so approaching that person in that relationship, yeah, that's... And it's not easy to do though, right? It, it's hard because our natural tendency is not to show grace. Our natural tendency is to get mad when other people get grace, isn't it? Well, how, God, how can you forgive him or her? Look what they did. They don't deserve grace, and like we want to be the, you know, the judge, jury, and executioner. We don't want people to get grace. Or we want to be the kind of people who uh, compare. We take out our scorecard and we say, okay, well, these are the rules. As long as I'm following the rules, I'm better than everyone else, but that guy over there, boy, he, mm-mm, and she missed that, and so, uh... And so we don't want to show grace. Our natural tendency is to go back to law. It is. That's, that's where our hearts go. And Jesus says, you don't have to live like that. You get to live in grace. You get to experience it. You get to receive it from God. We get to be made right by Jesus' righteousness. And then we get to extend it to other people. Man, if you went and you went to a store and you bought something and you paid full price and you thought you were getting something genuine and it was fake, and it was phony, wouldn't you want to know that? If you were believing a gospel that really wasn't the genuine gospel, if we didn't understand grace, wouldn't you want to know? We pay a high price to live in legalism. We give up a lot of joy. We give up a lot of relationships. We live with a lot of hurt and baggage. It costs us something to live with a legalistic mindset. And my heart for this church, I said it last week, I'll say it again. My heart for, the, for this church is that we foster a culture of grace, that we learn to take the masks off. And we say, you know what? I don't have to live under pressure. I don't have to live under pressure to, to keep the rules. I don't have to live under fear of other people. I get to live in what's true and what God says about me in, in his righteousness, right? And I get to just live in the righteousness of Christ. And does he want us to obey him? Absolutely. We get to. We don't have to. If we do, never do another thing, we're still accepted by him. That's grace. And that is good news. And that's something I can sign up for. I've, I was a legalist for a long time. I'm not going back. I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not interested in leading a church like that. But I'm interested in leading a church of people who love Jesus and want to extend grace and want to take off the mask and say, let's just be real. Let's be open. Let's be honest. And let's see what God does with it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Galatians and how awesome it is to see how we're not the first ones to make mistakes. That even Peter got caught up in fearing what other people thought, got caught up in not always believing the truth of the gospel, went back to the law, and then had to be corrected by Paul. And it's just... It's a, it's a story, it's an old story, but it resonates so much with us today. And so Lord, may we learn more and more to live in your grace, to accept it, 
to live with, not with a knockoff version of the gospel, but the true gospel that says, I am accepted, I am loved. God, you are pleased with me because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm justified before you because of what Jesus has done. And all the other stuff, the growing in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, like, that comes out of that reality that I'm already accepted. And so, Lord, my, my heart and my prayer today is for anyone in this room who doesn't know what it means to receive grace, what it means to live with a relationship with you, that, God, maybe today would be the day that they say, it's, it's time to establish that. It's time to receive that gift of grace. Lord, grow us as your people. Grow us as a church who loves well and shows grace to one another. And again, we thank you for just this reality of the gospel that we get to live in it. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from this service. There will always be religious people who want to add to the gospel and make it legalistic. We all get pressured to be religious. People may say, your gospel's too easy. There must be some added rules to this. That is being legalistic. Hypocrisy is one of the main complaints of people who are not Christians. Hypocrites are someone who says they have a particular moral belief, but behaves in a way that shows that those beliefs aren't sincere. A basis for hypocrisy may include fear of what others think of us rather than resting in what God thinks of us. But when we live in grace, we live free from trying to keep up with appearances. If keeping the law could make us righteous, we really wouldn't need Jesus. We use the phrase, do to be, to describe a mindset when we believe that we can earn our righteousness. This mindset includes what I do, my works, my rule keeping, makes me who I am, my identity, my self-worth. I do things, therefore I have value. Do to be says, our behavior makes us right with God. Grace says, we are made right with God because of Jesus and how our behavior flows from that reality. Discussion questions. Do you believe God is happy with you? What is your answer based on? How might the dynamics of your relationships change with more grace? Who in your life needs to receive grace from you right now? Is it hard for you to extend it? Why? Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll see you next week. Love Jesus and love send.